uh, this morning's speaker. Uh, John and Kristen Koschel are here from Germany uh, with their four kids. Um, John and Kristen uh, are, what, they're, it's kind of coming back home. Is that a fair way of saying it a little bit? They're both, they're, they uh, were both CCF interns. John was on staff with CCF. And, uh, and have a lot of good uh, relationships uh, with this community. They've been in Germany for 10 years, uh, working with university students. They're connected to 12 university towns, equipping, training, and releasing German, uh, German Christians to do ministry in their local context. And so they're going to be, uh, they're gonna be uh, John's going to be sharing this morning a little about that and just um, his, his heart even expressed in the scripture that we're looking at. Uh, this morning for uh, mission. So we're going to start, we're going to cue a video that shares a little about what they do, and then John will come up and bring the word. Thanks. For, for most of the students, there's not really a sense of urgency to to think about spiritual things and if we don't have Christian students uh, I don't know how, how our future will look like to change the course of the nation we must reach the university students and our strategy is to reach them with the gospel to establish communities of witness where they can grow into maturity and to reproduce ourselves by discipling young men and women to reach the universities themselves Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here in Bellingham. Good to be here at Hillcrest again. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been uh, 10 years since we've been here. And, uh, but then you see you have four children and you see how time has passed and things have changed. And, uh, but it's so, so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, and it is true. It is, it is uh, a, a number of our, our, our roots, how we, our DNA how we identify ourselves, I'll come back here to Hillcrest and CCF and, and the time that we spent here. So it's really, really good being back. My uh, title to my message this morning is The Little People God Uses. And I don't know about you, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I read it before the movies came out. So, you know, I'm not a, a warm weather Lord of the Rings fan, but, uh, but you know, I was, I, was, I was there before it was really popular. And uh, uh, and when I hear little people, then, I mean, my mind goes to Frodo and Bilbo and Sam and Pippin and, and, and these kind of people. And the story of Lord of the Rings where, you know, Frodo and, and Bilbo, they, they weren't people that were very big. They were short. You know, they had, um, they had some, some awkward things about them, like they had very fuzzy feet. You know, I don't know about how you feel about your feet, but I'm sure fuzzy feet isn't maybe one of the things that you proclaim to the world. Um, but, uh, uh, and then, and then they, they weren't warriors, they weren't ma- magicians, they weren't people of great wisdom, they were just normal little people who stuck with it. And, you know, the, the wonderful story of Lord of the Rings, that it is these kind of people who do great things in the world. That was Tolkien's message. But in the Bible, we also have a story of a little person. And, uh, 
And so the topic of today is about reaching people who are distant from us and the people that God uses to do that. And I want to read to you from 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, and I encourage you when you go home, read the whole thing. I'm going to focus on the first five, five verses and, uh, uh, and then for, for the sake of context, kind of tell you how the rest of it goes. But, but I encourage you today to, to go back home and, and read that whole chapter and just spend time thinking about what it is that God wants to speak to you here. But let me read to you from 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a, taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of the leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman goes, he's got his whole armored vehicle full of gold, and he goes to Samaria, the, the king of Israel passes it on to Elisha the prophet, and, and Elisha doesn't even bother to come out and meet this, uh, this really honorable uh, and important man, but sends a servant out to give him the instructions to go wash in the Jordan River seven times, which he at first doesn't want to do, but, but then does. And God heals him in a miraculous, miraculous way, and, and, it, that, and he comes back and he becomes a worshiper of the true God of this world, the God of Israel. And so what is quickly over, we, we, we get the miracles. We, you know, Elisha is really cool. Uh, then there's, of course, the sordid affair of the servant at the end of the story uh, who pocketed some money. But, but, but often what's missed is these two or three little verses in the beginning of the chapter of the little servant girl. So my first point today is there are no little people in God's economy, in God's plan, in God's mission. Who was this little girl? All we know is that she was taken from her family in a raid. She was an Israelite. We can only speculate at the circumstances behind the story. We don't know, did the raid happen in the day or at night? Were her parents killed or was she kidnapped as she was on her way to the well to get water? How old was she exactly? Uh, uh, we don't know what the trip was like on the way back into her land of captivity. We don't know what her thoughts or feelings were, uh, although we can speculate on knowing that she won't ever see her family again and, and her people and what is her future. All these things are behind these couple of verses. We just don't know. But what we do know is that in her spot where she ended up, she was the lowest of people. She was a slave, she was a foreigner, and she was a girl, making her the weakest and most vulnerable person in ancient society. She was the littlest of people. Now, I, uh, you know, I know that you probably know this, but when, as missionaries, when we get on that airplane and we fly to the country that God has called us to, we don't use the return portion of that ticket. The date comes and it goes. 
And we know, well, on this day, we could have flown back, and they were probably expecting us to, but we're not. And we enter into this new and strange culture. And uh, I have a, a brief illustration about new and strange here. Um, and there's a, kind of a legendary story of a group of Americans who came to Germany to do a, like a maps trip, a, a short-term missions trip. And they were in the airport, and they, uh, they just arrived, and they were looking for the restroom. And they, ca- and they came there, and they, they found what they think was a restroom, and it had this sign, these signs in front of the door. And they were trying to figure out, okay, now, which one is the women's bathroom and which one is the men's bathroom? This is all the information we have. And so they got together in a huddle and decided to kind of reason it out. And they started trying to splice the words and to see if there's any similarities to English. And they saw that, well, the first word, domin, has been in it. So maybe it's domin, you know? And then, and then there's her and the other one. And maybe that's just a fa- you know, because ladies are fancy. You know, maybe it's a fancy word for her. And so, of course, the only way to find out is to do it and go into the bathroom and, you know, of course, it was exactly the opposite, you know. And so it's just a humorous il- illustration. You just, you're entering into a new culture and the culture is full of uh, uh, rules and Germans have lots of rules and they'll tell you all about the rules and, and they'll also let you know if you break the rules. Uh, and, uh, but there's also a bunch of unspoken rules and so you don't know that you've broken those until you do. And then, of course, being German, they'll tell you exactly what you did wrong, you know, nothing, I love Germans, you know, don't get me wrong in that, you know, it's helpful, and they think it's helpful too, to, uh, to give critique, so, um, but you just don't know, you're entering into this, this newness, this mystery, I mean, Kristen, going to the grocery store, had to learn new names, had to figure out how to cook chocolate chip cookies all over again, because you use half the butter, otherwise it doesn't work, I mean, go figure, I thought butter was the same everywhere, right, but no, it's not, and so all this stuff, and, and of course, once it gets into ministry and reaching people and trying to build a fellowship in a community, yeah, it just all gets really complicated. You know, and so I'd been on staff here at, at CCF and, and had done time here and had learned a lot and grown a lot, and yet you come back into a new place, a new situation, a new culture with a new language, new ideas of what friendship is like, a new ideas of what leadership is like, and you very, very quickly get worn and filed down. Whatever pride you had or self-assurance or confidence, that all starts quickly going away. And over those first years, you're worn down to your essential self and your faith in God. You feel as a small, little person. Well, how about you? Where are you at? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a person of no great worth? How could God ever use me? I'm just a small little person in God's big... Why would he even want to use me? You know, I'm in this situation or that situation. I'm just a small person. Francis Schaeffer, in a book that he entitled No Little People, has this quote that I'm going to read to you. And he says this, The scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. 
The problem for each of us is applying this truth to ourselves. Schaefer is saying, it's not bigness, it's not giftedness, it's not wealth, it's not influence, it's not any of these things that our society values that is in the end essential to being used by God. No, it's being consecrated, being dedicated or devoted to who God is and what his plan and mission is. That's the essential factor to being used by him. And consecration simply means being fully devoted to God's purposes. And and we see that wonderfully exemplified in the couple of verses that we have from the servant girl. And I want to show it in these three statements of how she was faithful in her situation. And the first one is this. She was faithful to God. She retained and nurtured at least a memory of her God, the God who heals. You know, I don't know about you. She probably never met Elisha. She probably only heard stories from her parents. You know, she, she probably wasn't trained in theology, and yet she absorbed stuff in, in, the, in the stories and the traditions of her people. But she had retained that. She remained faithful. I don't know about you guys, but if I have been kidnapped and I've been thrown into a new situation, a situation that's full of suffering, I would ask, God, why couldn't you even spare me from the suffering? How could you allow something like that? It would be a good reason to lose faith, one would think. And yet this little girl, she remained faithful to her God. A second way that she remained faithful is she was faithful in her service. She served well and must have therefore been regarded as someone worth listening to. My friend, she's a servant girl. Her job is to pick the bugs out of the flour, to grind the grain, and to do the laundry. You don't listen to people like that. And especially not back in that day and age. She was a person of no account, and yet her service must have been exemplary and full of integrity because she had earned the right to be heard. And the third thing, and the one that really strikes me, is that she was faithful in blessing. Instead of cursing the man and his wife for the horrors that they had visited upon her life, she sought the best for them. She wanted to see healing and God's blessing come on her life. Folks, when someone cuts me off in Seattle traffic, I'm not blessing them, let alone being kidnapped and taken into another culture in my life and future and everything I thought my life would be being taken away. And yet she is blessing her captors. Think about that. It's just, she's, she's teaching me so much. She was a consecrated person. A nobody in the world's eyes, a foreigner, a slave, and a girl, and yet because she was faithful, God was able to use her. And the implication should be clear to all of us. Contrary to all the leadership manuals out there, God doesn't look at the influential and the powerful. He seeks to use the consecrated. God seeks to use those who remain faithful to him despite setbacks, despite suffering, and despite lowly positions. Consecration is what matters. Consecration is what matters. He used this girl in her situation situation to reach Naaman. Who does he want to reach with you? My second point 
Is there no little places? And this goes hand in hand with her as a no little person. The slave girl's job was equally as small as her personal value in the eyes of the world. Her position was powerless. She had no power to draw on, and she had no meaningful influence. As missionaries, when we come to a new country, um, we come in as outsiders. We come in as people who have to learn, who have to learn the language at the very least, have to learn the culture, have to learn the way you do things in a new setting. You come in and you, and you feel out of place. Yes, we were in the right geography, but we felt out of position for years until God led us through that time into a place where we could minister more significantly. But it, was, it just takes years. And you start at, a, at the bottom and you have to work your way up. Berlin is a city of three and a half million people. It took people in our small group 45 minutes on a one-way journey to get to their small group and then the 45 minutes back. That's commitment. But it took a lot to figure out how do you call that out of them. It's a city of 140,000 university students, 20 colleges and universities, and as far as we could ever tell, no more than about 400 Christ followers amongst those 140,000 students. That's less than 1%. It's a third of 1%. You feel incredibly insignificant. How on earth, how can we even position ourselves to even begin, even being known amongst those 140,000 students? You couldn't make a splash big enough in that city to get known. Maybe you feel your place in this world is small, maybe even useless. Maybe you feel out of position. If I only I was in this position, God could use me better or more. But I, I'm, just, I'm just this kind of a person. I, this, is, this is my job, and how can God use this? Schaefer goes on to say in his book, as there are no little people in God's sight, so there are no little places. To be wholly committed to God in the place where God wants him. This is the creature glorified. I'll repeat that. To be wholly committed to God in the place where God wants him. This is the creature glorified. This means being what he wants me to be, where he wants me to be. I remember when I was about my boy's age, my parents once asked me, well, what do you want to do with yourself? You know, what do you want to be in life? And uh, my, my, my dad traveled a lot. I grew up as a missionary kid, and my dad traveled a lot. And, and, you know, Germany has these cool Mercedes taxis, you know. It's not a Chevy, it's a Mercedes. And I always thought it would be great to be able to pick up my dad from the airport and give him a free ride home. And so I said, Someday I want to be a taxi driver. And my parents in their wisdom says, well, if you're going to be a taxi driver, then do it for the glory of God. You know? God can use our place no matter how small. 
like the slave girl, for his glory. God wants to use people who recognize their need for God, who recognize their total dependence on him, and who consecrate both their persons and their positions in life, no matter how big or how small, for his purposes. It's amazing. God wants to use you and me, isn't it? Think about it. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to use you. Now with some conviction. Come on, come on, come on. God wants to use you. We need to speak words of faith into one another's life, right? God wants to use you. No matter where you're at, God wants to use you, whether you're a CEO or you, you know, I don't know how to say the other half, but if you're CEO or, or whatever your imagination takes you on the other side. I don't know what that is. I don't want to say something. Um, but, but God wants to use you no matter where you're at. And it's a matter of consecration, not of position, not of importance, not of money, not of influence. Not of, that's not essential to God wanting to use you. It is consecration and dedication to him. But why does he choose to use you and me? Why did he want to use this servant girl? It's because God's missionary love extends to those far from us. God loves this world. He loves this world deeply. He loves the people around you in your workplace, and he loves the people in your school, in your neighbors, in your family members who don't know him. In the time of our story, Naaman's name, this general who was raiding Israel, he was probably cursed by every person in Israel. Think about it. If you say enemy, public enemy number one, it would have been Naaman. It would have been Naaman. And the way you read the text, the Israelites identified Naaman as God's person to use to punish Israel, apparently. I mean, go, go think about that, you know. But it was Naaman. He was public enemy number one. A thorn in their side, a thief, a kidnapper, a bitter enemy. And yet God loved them so much. And I'm convinced of this. God loved them so much that through all those circumstances, he placed a servant girl in his household. Vulnerable, lowly, but he placed her in that family. In Germany, young people, by and large, have passed over the Christian faith. It's been interesting reading the news from over here while being in Germany and just seeing all the things that are taking place here in the United States. And I identify with you, Germany's been doing that since 1880. You know? Christianity's been tried and found wanting. Christians are fools and ignorant. We do outreaches on the campus where we have a, we set up a coffee table and we, we cook about 10 gallons of, co- not 10 gallons, that's too much, but uh, three and a half gallons of coffee and put them in thermoses and, 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 we, and, we, and we, we invite students to come as they come from the tram and walk into the university and say, would you like a, a free cup of coffee? And Germans being German are skeptical of anything that's free because they're looking for where's the catch on this thing. And so the first weeks that you're doing this, because you have to do it week after week, the first week, they're kind of looking at you and, you know, it, it, they make it, the, the look suggests that they're saying, you know, what's wrong with these people giving away free things? You sell stuff, you know? And, uh, and, yeah, and it just, you know, they, they look at you like if you're trying to give them poison or something. And, but, but, you know, a few courageous people come and they take a cup of coffee and inevitably the question comes up, who are you and why are you giving away coffee? 
And we say, well, we are followers of Jesus, and we want to show his love for you by the simple sign of a free cup of coffee. Wow, that's very nice that you're doing this. Nice to see people give stuff away for free. That's, that's nice. That's good. Where's your donation box? And let me put a couple euros in. Or, or are you guys also being endorsed by a political party? I mean, where's the flyers? Can we save some whales here, you know? And, uh, and, and, and no, no, it's, just, it's free. It's free. Like God's love is freely given for you. And it's amazing how hard it is for them to accept a free cup of coffee. Imagine how hard it would be for them to accept the free gift of God's grace if they have a hard time taking a coffee. And then, of course, they say, well, what do you do? You know, and, and we, I'm always there with students, and they say, well, I'm studying engineering or I'm studying education or whatever. And it just blows their mind. What? Christian? And you think? Amazing! But often the idea is that Christians are fools, they're ignorant. And if you believe strongly in anything, then you're a fundamentalist and no better than a terrorist. Literally. Literally. In many European countries. Germany included. And yet God loves them desperately. And so he sent a missionary family who have given their lives into the hands of God for his purposes. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example in this in that he came into our world. And Romans 5.8 puts it this way, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus himself is what this little girl's life was a signpost for. Jesus went into enemy territory as a servant, the lowest of slaves, and laid his life down to reach those who are in enmity to him, you and me, all of creation. He was faithful to his father doing all that he was asked to do. He was faithful to serve, laying down all that he was asked to lay down. And he was faithful to bless, bringing new creation into the lives of all who would trust him, including those who were previously his enemies. And in being Christ followers, my friends, this is our call as well. If we're going to follow Christ, this is the path that we are to walk. To be his body, to be faithful, to be consecrated, so that all may hear. And so in Bellingham, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, at Western or a community college, or a high school, there are people who may act or in fact be bitter enemies of Jesus and everything he stands for. Or maybe like many Europeans, they're just simply so ambivalent, they don't even want to talk about it. But God loves them so much that he's placed you there in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, and you as a community of God, as a body of Christ in Bellingham, You've been placed here by him. And God calls out to you, be consecrated to me. Give your small position and your small place to me, like the five loaves and the two fishes from that boy. And let us see what he can do if we give all of ourselves to him. Or maybe 
you're someone and you find yourself here today and you're not a Christ follower as of yet and you're sitting and listening and you're hearing all this. And my, If I could express it with all my heart, God wants to see you come to him as well. And just as Naaman was healed and as he experienced new life in him through his encounter with God, he wants to do that in you as well. And as Pastor Tim mentioned earlier, that means bending your knee to him, repenting, and allowing him to be Lord of your life. But you see what happened with Naaman. When he did that, he received new life, the life he was always meant to live. I just want to mention briefly a story as we figure out what it is to be consecrated as a family in Germany. As you know, about a year ago, the whole refugee situation took off in Europe. And Germany in particular opened its arm, opens its arms wide to invite anyone and everyone in. Risky move. And when this all went down, it wasn't very long, and we had refugees living in, in uh, uh, the, 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 the gyms of the university and in the YMCA's that, uh, that are in our city and in the Congress centers, sleeping on floors. We had refugees everywhere. And we were expecting child number four at the time, and I was in the midst of, I mean, we have stuff to do, you know. And so and then I was, but then all this happened, and we're like, Lord, we don't, what role would you have for us in this? How would it even look like? I mean, inviting and building relationship with refugees, I mean, that's time-intensive stuff. It's another evening out of the week, uh, it would be costly. I, I don't, can, can we do it? Can we afford it? And, and we prayed about it and talked with friends about it and said, how, how does our role in this whole thing look like? Because I couldn't ever imagine someday standing before the King of Kings and saying, I didn't have enough time. I had other priorities in my hand. I just don't think that would go well. You know what I mean? And so we prayed about it and says, God, you're going to have to help us see how this is supposed to work, but we give what we can, everything that we can to you. Well, in March, I picked up Emily from kindergarten, and we, uh, we, uh, we take the tram all over the place in the city of Airport where we live, and we got, went to the tram stop to get on the tram to go home, and there were these two refugee guys there, Mahmoud and Suleiman. And Emily, who's friendly with everyone, and uh, pretty soon was making eyes with one of them, and and, you know, just talking with them and just kind of, you know, just being a little girl. And, and Mahmoud is, you know, he's speaking to, oh, what's your name, you know, and where are you from and all that sort of thing. Well, then dad's got to get involved too, of course. And so I'm ta- we're talking with one another and he goes, hey, can you, tell, can you explain something to me? Why do Germans not talk to me out on the street? Why are they so unfriendly? And I says, don't worry, Germans talk, don't talk to anyone out on the streets. Only the people they know. So don't worry, you know, it's, no, it's nothing that you've done, you know. But, but you know, I, it turns out that, that his, he's staying at the YMCA with his four sisters, younger sisters, he's 22, four younger sisters, staying at the YMCA uh, in town. And the head of the YMCA, his daughter is in Johnny's class, first grade class, and so we had kind of a connection. And, but I was a little too um, worried uh, or concerned. I didn't want to immediately exchange contact information because you just don't know who you're talking to. You know what I mean? 
And so the, the, it, we went, and we went home, and a month later, we were starting the new semester for uh, the new, uh, we are having our first service of the new semester in our student ministry in Erfurt, and who should walk in the door but Mahmoud and his little sister, 15 years old. I was so, so surprised. This is Mahmoud, how did you know about us? And Mahmoud says, well, so, some friends of ours says, well, there's this meeting of students, and you're kind of students' age, so maybe it'd be interesting to you. And so he came. We had no idea where we were going to meet each other. And so we talked, and I said, you know, God, I, I get it. I'm going to get his contact information. Second chance, thank you for your grace, God. And so I got his contact information. And a couple of weeks later, we were all sitting around our coffee table, him and his four sisters, eating coffee and drinking, eating coffee and drinking cake. And, uh, and in the midst of the conversation, uh, Mahmoud, who, who's Muslim, said, you know, I don't, I don't get it. Why is it not okay for me to eat pork? And in Islam, you just don't do that. You know, it's unclean. You don't eat a pig. You don't eat pork. And he goes, why can't I eat pork as a Muslim? What's so bad about eating pork? Now, I don't think I like the flavor of it. I don't think I would like that. It smells funny. But, but why couldn't you eat it? What's wrong about eating pork? And his 15-year-old sister, who's kind of also a little lioness, spoke up and says, well, it's Islam. It's halal. It's what you do. If you're going to be a good Muslim, you do this. You don't question it. And his three in-between sisters are kind of cowering between these two as these two start going at it. And then pretty soon Mahmoud says, oh, she's 15 years old and a girl, she, hasn't even, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She is, ah, you know. And, and pretty soon, you know, we're just sitting here watching this going, this is amazing. And here's a Muslim questioning his faith. And so they go home and a couple weeks later they invite us over to have a meal at, in their little apartment where the, the kitchen is no bigger than this little platform area here. There's two bedrooms in the house and a living room and that, and that, and that, and that kitchen and a bathroom also about this. It's small and the five of them are living in there. And I knew that if I brought my, my boys and kids and everything, we wouldn't ever have a chance to talk. So I, I said, let's, let's stay home and, and I'll go. And so I knock on the door and they open up and they're looking behind me to see if my family's behind me because they're, they're Kurdish, they're Arabic, they're Middle Eastern family, they love kids. And they're so disappointed I didn't bring my kids. And, and, and so Mahmoud brings me into the living room. We're sitting around the coffee table and, in the, and real soon into the conversation, Mahmoud goes, John, I need you to explain something to me. How can Jesus be the Son of God? Can you explain to me who Jesus was? Man, talk about feeling completely out of place. I reach secular people. They're not asking these questions, you know. But Muslims do. It's important to know how this whole thing is supposed to work. And, and so here I am giving it my best shot. I said, God, I, I hope there's all these people in America, I hope they're praying for me right now. Really? I hope they're praying for me because, wow, what a question. And I, oh, I'm not, I feel so unprepared to answer it. This is not my, you know. And, 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 and did my very best. And he says, well, I think that really helps. Thank you for sharing. And he started coming to our church. And every Sunday he's been coming to our church. And we've been gone now a month and a half. I still hope he's going to our church. But he has, he's so open. He, friends, he is so open. He's not ready to give up on faith altogether. He wants to know the true God. He wants to know who this person is and who Jesus is. We're trying to figure out what it is to be consecrated as a family, to not just 
limit God to what we are comfortable with doing, but going, God, whatever it takes, wherever, however much time, Lord, we have to trust you with these things and help us do this. God has called you to your spot, your neighborhood, your family, your friends, even your enemies. To be people who are faithful to him, to God and his purposes. Be faithful to serve and be faithful to bless. And we just want to take a minute here this morning. And, and I know God wants to speak to every one of you. He's got someone, and you probably already know who that someone is, that God wants you to love on his behalf. He wants you to be as this servant girl, to Naaman. He wants you to be like that to this person. I'm just going to, we're going to take a minute here and I hope you can write down a name and then commit yourself, consecrate yourself to God's purposes for this person's life. We're going to take a minute now, okay? Lord, I pray for these dear friends, this body of Christ planted here in Bellingham, Washington. I pray for all the names that have been written down. I pray and affirm all the prayers of commitment that are being prayed. Lord, I pray for this community that as a body, as a community of your people, as the royal priesthood in this area, Lord, that this church would consecrate itself to be your servants in this area, servants even in suffering, servants even to the enemies, to bless those who curse, to serve those with integrity, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that they wouldn't do this out of their own strength, Lord, but they would experience your Spirit at work in their life and their heart. And Lord, as they consecrate yourself, themselves, Lord, to the people in their workplaces and families and neighbors and schools. Lord, that you, they would see that you're coming alongside them and you're helping them to be the people that they need to be that represent, to represent you and to speak of you and to love no matter what. Lord, I pray for a strength and strengthening of this community. Lord, that many would hear who otherwise would not because these people are consecrated, have consecrated themselves to you and your mission. I pray a blessing on them. And thank you. 
Thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name.